With climate change, energy security, and sustainable development at the forefront of many LPs and GPs' minds, the European market has seen a proliferation of impact-focused investment strategies in recent years. Will this focus continue through an impending recession? How can impact investors address some of the biggest problems we are facing in the world today? And what role is regulation playing in this segment of the market? We'll be discussing all this and more on today's episode of the Unquote Private Equity Podcast. Hello, listener, and welcome to today's episode of the Unquote Private Equity Podcast. My name is Harriet Matthews. I'm Head of Funds Coverage at Unquote and Merger Market, and I'll be your host for today. Impact investing is clearly a hot topic with an increasing number of emerging managers entering the market, some of whom are raising vast sums for their debut funds, even by normal private equity standards. And established GPs are joining the fray as well, including APAC's partners, Fidane and Summa Equity. They are either launching new impact strategies alongside their flagship funds or doubling down on their impact credentials in their main strategies. The debate about whether impact and great private markets returns can go together seems less intense in the current market, with the emphasis shifting to how LPs and GPs can put their capital to work in an impactful way. To explore this topic today, I'm delighted to welcome my colleague Wahida Ahmed, private equity reporter at Unquote and Merger Market. Wahida, welcome to the podcast, and thanks very much for being here. Thank you for having me, Harriet. No problem at all. Now, we've looked into the data on fundraising for impact-related strategies, uh, I think it was early on this year, 2022, and I know you've been looking at the stats on this on Unquote data again. What have you found? According to our preliminary data, so far European GPs have raised 4.4 billion euros across 14 first and final closes for impact vehicles in 2022, with 2.56 billion euros raised in January alone. This is approximately a 0.3 billion increase from 2021, where we saw GPs raise 4.1 billion euros across 17 first and final closes for impact vehicles. Of these funds, the largest was Summer Equity 3, closing at 2.12 billion euros. Mm, Interesting. And uh, as you say, this is just preliminary data. So it may well be that when we crunch the numbers a little bit later on uh, this year or towards the start of next year, that that goes up, meaning that, you know, that the trend is even more clear that GPs uh, across all sorts of different strategies are, are raising impact and impact related vehicles. And I think one thing to draw out of this actually is also just the number of funds of funds being raised in this market. We've got managers like Golding and Unigestion either launching impact fund of fund strategies or fund of fund strategies with a particular, you know, emphasis on climate impact or climate technology, for example. And I think it's fair to say that this just highlights the fact that these kinds of managers clearly think that the ecosystem of impact funds is mature enough uh, for them to have plenty of places to commit their capital to. So worth uh, worth bearing that in mind. And we'll certainly be looking out for more managers launching dedicated impact uh, funds funds in, in future. Now, we're going to hear from Paul Eric Stortil, CEO and global managing partner at London-headquartered impact investor Lightrock. And Wahida and I will join you again after that. Hello, Paul Eric, and welcome to the Unquote Private Equity Podcast. It's great to have you on this episode. Thanks for taking the time to speak to me. Thank you, and nice of you to take time to speak to me as well. Great, no problem. 
So we're speaking actually not too long after Lightrock has closed a fresh 860 million euro climate impact fund. No mean feat, I think, in the current fundraising environment. So I wanted to ask Paul-Eric a bit about what the LP appetite was like for the fund and for your strategy. And would you say you've seen uh, interest in impact investing increase or change over the past few years? So I think to your last part of the question, uh, we've clearly seen uh, appetite and interest from LPs increase, not only so much or not even so much necessarily to overall impact, but particularly to certain themes. Climate is a good example. Health is another good example. And uh, even in today's quite challenging fundraising environment, I, I think that appetite has held up uh, pretty well, at least. So that's number one. The second uh, part of your, also to your question would be when you asked a little bit about the experience. I have to also admit that this was an experience uh, of two, two episodes, so to say. So we kicked this off in January of 2022. And up until the war, it's actually going very smooth also from a timing point of view. And then when the horrible war in Ukraine broke out, it was um, was also clear that this had quite a significant effect. And uh, particularly in the short term, because it delayed the whole process as LPs was grappling with then the extraordinary volatility that then kicked off in the markets. And, and uh, also uh, also longer or sort of a bit further down the road we also saw that uh, i would say some lps actually shifted even more towards energy and energy transition as a consequence of not only climate but also the increased need for energy security and i would say the increased focus on energy supply in europe Mm -hmm. absolutely are there any sub themes i wonder from kind of climate impact that you would want to highlight any in particular that you'd say were were standing out to lps uh, during the fundraise so our climate fund is uh, is uh, on purpose i call it diversified climate fund that invests across different verticals in this space anything from energy transition to ag tech etc uh, having said that uh, in in light not only of the challenges with climate change, but more broadly in light of the challenges also now in the energy market in Europe and beyond, I would say there was, in a way, I guess, particular strong interest around also topics related to energy transition and uh, and some of the sort of broader energy investments that we've done. So I, I'm definitely keen to explore some of the, the themes and questions around energy transition with you. But just looking at the uh, the kind of broader market as a whole for a moment, there's clearly a wide expectation of an upcoming recession. So how do you expect impact investing strategies to perform in a downturn? Because I'd say this part of the market maybe hasn't been tested through a cycle in the same way as some of the more established venture capital or private equity strategies. What's your take on that? So I think when you talk about performance, you can talk about performance, both of funds and fundraising, as well as performance of portfolio. I start with the first uh, I think uh, all aspects of alternatives is, or almost at least, almost all aspects of alternatives is affected by not only the recession, but particularly the increased interest rates and uh, therefore also significant corrections that have happened in the public markets. So I do think the fundraising market in general is indeed more challenging now than it was a year ago. And I think that goes for all asset classes uh, also impact. If you look at the portfolio, 
and the type of companies we, for instance, invest in, which is often in the intersect between impact, but also growth. Clearly, um, there's parts of the portfolio that is also again hit by, for instance, uh, the significant interest rates increases, but still so far that has not been the main impact. I think many companies do well in this environment. Some maybe are challenged in this environment, but I think actually if I look at the last six months or even 12 months and where we found the biggest challenges in the portfolio has rather been on supply chain and being able to literally produce and deliver what you're supposed to produce and deliver coming out of COVID, which has been a very difficult time for anybody in terms of supply chain and, and supply of, of the critical components that often is needed. I see. So it's perhaps more about the, the type of company or business model rather than, than being sort of impact companies or impact investments as a whole, would you say? Yeah, because we, I would say we have companies across a wide variety of industries. And um, yes, I, I would say that there are clearly sectors that even have tailwind now, Ref Energy as an example, and others uh, that, again, as I mentioned, have faced some real challenges, particularly those relying on global supply chain or chains or relying on particular components like semiconductors, which has, uh, of course, been much more difficult now coming out of COVID. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And you've touched on the the energy transition and energy sector as a whole a couple of times. So I'm I'm definitely keen to kind of ask you about that. What role would you say impact investing can play in Europe's energy transition and, and obviously its current uh, energy security issues? And how is the current environment affecting Lightrock's approach to investments in the energy sector and in, in climate impact as a whole? So, so this is a broad question. It's a very good question. I, I, I think the, the broader energy transition, which started years ago with the introduction of much more renewables into the energy system in Europe, is a transition that is complex, and it's one that will take time, and it's one that will require a lot of capital. And I think it's not just impact investing. I think, I think in general, the investors play an extraordinary important role in making sure that the capital allocation as we do that transition is optimal. So what I think we're seeing more and more is that there is a lot of, call it willing capital to take part and support this transition. And what's now extraordinarily important is that there are also those that make sure that that capital is allocated to the right technologies, to the right strategies, and also not only on an individual basis, the right technologies, but as we're learning as a consequence, also the horrible war in Ukraine, is of course that also we see that one has to look at also the energy system rather integrated. And as we bring, for instance, more different type of renewables on stream, we also need to up the game completely on things like storage, as an example. And uh, for Lightrock, this has been part of our thesis for years. And uh, we, we've sort of believed in this as a very important mega trend for Europe and beyond Europe for a long time. And I don't think anything has changed for us, uh, only maybe that we now are pleased to see that more and more capital support this. And uh, we welcome that because I think if you go even just a couple of years back, one of the problems was that, quite frankly, there weren't enough capital to support this transition. Well, I would say today we're getting there. And obviously, as the industry grows in terms of uh, climate impact and impact as a whole, 
it's important to to regulate to keep track of KPIs or obviously you'll be very familiar with all of this all of this talk I guess but would you say at the moment that this regulation it is driving impact investing and, and the approach taken to it or would you say it's actually the the other way around so sort of decisions taken by impact investors such as yourself are kind of shaping how regulators uh, adapt or, or respond I think it's a combination of both I, I feel that uh, some of the pioneers in this industry, where I would define us as one of them, do have some impact, most likely on how the regulations are playing out. And we're doing our best also to share what we see as best practice and so forth. But at the same time, the regulators should always regulate as they see best fit from all the different stakeholders they are optimizing for. And uh, I think on SFDR Article 9, for instance, they are still now working that through. And I think it's also a little bit early to take a clear stance on, on, on that, because in my view, there's still quite a lot of work to be done before that is concrete enough. And then I also just wanted to quickly point out that it's also important that one doesn't mix ESG with Article 9 and what's taking place on the impact side. These two, two are two distinctly different uh, regulations. And ESG is much more a broad-based one that I guess today almost, uh, if not guide, at least have impact on almost all investment firms in the world. Yes, and I, I'm sure we could uh, we could spend an entire podcast talking about the the difference. But um, good point to make. I think that's a good one to, to end on. I think that's all we have time for. Thank you so much, Paul Eric, for sharing your insights. It's been a pleasure to speak to you. Thank you very much, and have a nice day. Many thanks again to Paul Eric for taking the time to speak to me. Now, Wahida, what did you make of that interview? Um, did you have any particular parts you found interesting you wanted to highlight? Any key takeaways? Yes, it was a really interesting um, conversation you had there. One key takeaway for me was um, energy transition, which is no doubt a popular topic due to the global energy crisis. Companies operating in the clean tech space are highly sought after, so it's no surprise that this would be in many impact funds' mandate. Yes, absolutely. That's a, a problem that's going to clearly require an awful lot of capital and private equity venture growth strategies are well placed to address that. So yeah, certainly could not agree more. It really speaks to a lot of the problems we're facing around energy security and uh, energy storage in Europe. Uh, another um, point um, I wanted to pick out, um, Paul Eric also highlighted the supply chain disruptions post-COVID, which is something I reported on in Merge Market earlier in the year. Businesses generally have a lot of catch-up to do post-COVID disruptions. And so it's likely we will see a growing number of investments directed towards solutions to improve demand planning, to overcome issues such as overstocking and replenishment, which often allow a business to reach its sustainability goals. Yes, no, that, that was that was really interesting. And as, as you've said, um, overstocking and overconsumption are two really big problems when it comes to the sustainability of a business. And they're certainly problems that can be measured and, and addressed uh, by you know, a potential impact investor in a company. I wanted to highlight as well, um, I thought it was quite interesting, Paul, Eric and I spoke a bit about the potential performance of impact investments in the downturn that we're all expecting to see because the impact market perhaps hasn't been tested in the same way as other parts of the market. What I've been hearing from a couple of people recently, these are people involved in impact fundraising, uh, impact fund investors themselves, is that they're expecting impact investments to perform fairly well. 
um, there wasn't such a huge kind of bubble around even climate technology versus other kind of typical VC and growth investments in technology. This is what they've been kind of explaining to me. And uh, part of that is also the fact that impact is going to be a huge trend. And, and when I say trend, um, you know, we, we shouldn't take this lightly. The, the climate crisis is very much here. It's, it's very real. People are seeing the effects of it all around them. And uh, I've had this highlighted to me, climate uh, and climate technology in particular, as probably the second biggest uh, you know, driver or trend of the 21st century. That's following digitalization, which was obviously really accelerated by the pandemic. So, uh, you know, whether that comes through um, remains to be seen, but uh, it will certainly be interesting to see how these type of assets and, and these types of funds perform uh, in, in 2023. Wahida, what can we expect then from the upcoming fundraising pipeline? Who, who's looking to, to raise in the market, say, next year? I'm seeing an increase in specialist impact funds. Swen Capital's 120 million euro Blue Ocean Impact Fund is an example. As the name suggests, the fund targets innovative startups dedicated to ocean regeneration. Another example is Tiki House, Axes and Unilever's 1 billion euro regenerative agricultural fund. This fund will target businesses promoting biodiversity, combating climate change and with technology that accelerates the transition to regenerative agriculture. Yeah, those are two great examples to to mention, I think. And that specialization, I think, is down to a couple of things. Um, for one, it just shows the maturity of the market. When a particular asset class or strategy matures, we do tend to see funds becoming more specialized. Other than that, I suppose it also just shows how how busy the fundraising market is. This is well known to, to everyone in all sorts of different sectors, but particularly impact funds. You know, they are really having to vie for attention actually from LPs who are becoming more spoilt for choice than they might have been, you know, just even a few years ago. And it is interesting to see how differentiated these strategies are, because I think the, the vast majority of them will be marketed as Article 9 funds under the EU's SFDR, you know, on, on the regulatory side. So that's defined as a fund that has sustainable investment as its objective or a reduction in carbon emissions as its objective. And actually, you know, that's quite a broad definition, but there's plenty of room for managers to to stand out. And, you know, they do they do need to, just considering how busy the market is. And maybe Wahida, you can give us an idea of how that specialization is playing out in the deal flow that's coming from these funds. What kind of assets are they are they dealing with and and picking and, and buying or selling? We've had GPs picking up on sustainable themes in new deal flow, like electric vehicles and the reduction of waste from electrical devices in mobile phones, both of which are themes that Verdane has addressed in its impact fund. We've also seen a few recent exits in this space, like Palatine's exit of its first impact investment trade skills for you earlier this month from its private equity impact investing fund too. The company provides electrical training to those wanting to change careers, as well as experienced electricians who require specific qualifications, thereby making such training accessible and increasing employability. What's interesting is that Palatine emphasized that after their exit, they want any buyer to keep in place the impact value creation steps they had taken. 
Yep, it sounds like trade skills for you very much focuses on the kind of human side of impact and sustainability. So improving access and opportunities to employment, that kind of thing, just shows how how varied the the themes that impact investors can focus on and, and measure can be. And this question of what to do on exit, um, I think, will be an interesting one. Well, you know, you can't necessarily contractually oblige um, a, a buyer on exit to kind of do the right thing and keep your impact uh, value creation and principles going. Um, it's, as you say, it was important to Palatine. And, and let's see how some of these impact investors deal with that as and when they are exiting their assets in the coming months and years as well. We've seen companies like Sunfire attract significant amounts of capital, which is an indication of investor appetite. Sunfire is a German startup that develops efficient energy conversion technologies and Lightrock is a backer. So this is very indicative of its strategy. Mm, yes, and, and that brings us back, I guess, to the theme of energy, energy transition, energy security, uh, which we discussed with, with Paul Eric and we, we've both referred to sort of earlier in, in this episode. So yeah, no, very interesting to see how that's developing. And again, just the, the wide variety of deals that we, we have under this kind of impacts banner. So I think that's all we've got time for on today's episode. So let's wrap up there. Wahida, thanks so much for joining me. It's been a pleasure having you. Thanks for having me. And thank you, listener, of course, for tuning in. If you like the podcast, don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you again in the next episode.